Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and we are back here with episode 80. And I forgot to do something last week, and I apologize for that. But I'd like to thank David Gold of The Asylum for going ahead and getting us uh, that opening line that you hear from all Ethan, all ego Ethan Page of AEW. I am a big fan of Ethan, and uh, David Gold went out of his way during WrestleCade weekend to ask Ethan to go ahead and say the opening line to the show. So I appreciate it, David. Thank you so much. Thank you to the Asylum, and thank you to Ethan Page for making that possible. With that being said, tonight we are going to have our normal show, which will be some quick hits, the highlight reel, a look at AEW and NXT this week, and we are going to go ahead and talk about what grinds my gears at the end of the show. So let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get into the quick hit. Starting us off tonight. Number one, Barry Windham hospitalized after a heart attack. And uh, this was a very concerning uh, news story for me. Barry Windham is definitely a childhood hero of mine. I love the Four Horsemen. I love Barry on his own. I also enjoyed him with Dustin Rhodes as a tag team. He was an all-around great athlete and great big man. So to hear that Barry Windham was not doing too well and hearing that he suffered a heart attack really uh, caught me off guard. Uh, then we heard that he was in ICU, but in an update to his current status, he is doing much better and is on the mend. So we wish Barry Windham a speedy recovery, and we wish the best for him and his family that are going through this right now. Number two, AEW announces that their video game, Fight Forever, which still does not have a release date, will have a constant DLC, downloadable content, instead of releasing new versions of the game each year. So basically, instead of having a 2023 version and then a 2024 version and so on and so forth, AEW is going to constantly be adding to the game. Now, I guess you're going to have to be constantly spending when they release new superstars, arenas, and so on and so forth. But if it's cheaper than going out and buying a new $80 video game every year, I'm all for it. And I think this is a smart business uh, venture for them and definitely going to change the way certain companies do their video games. I mean, you look at games like uh, Madden, NBA 2K, and all these other wrestling games that have come out, and it's a constant new game every year. And yeah, the gameplay is a little different. Things look a little different. The uh, you know the graphics are better, but it's the same game every year. So if they can just do it by adding DLC every year, I'm all for it. Uh, I saw a joke on a message board over on Facebook that this is Tony Khan admitting that he never wants to get into a video game venture ever again, and he refuses to put any more money into it. I don't know how true that is, but if that is the case, you know what? It may actually work out into their favor. Number three, William Regal has left AEW. I'll let you get over your shock for a second. That is right. William Regal is done with AEW. Apparently, he had a nine-month out clause in his co contract that allowed him to not renew his contract and act to be, act to be let go. His reasoning for wanting to be let go is because he wants to coach his son, who is in WWE NXT. Tony Khan listened to him and thought about it and released William Regal on the contingency that William not appear for the WWE 
throughout the entire 2023 year. So that means William Regal may be going back to the WWE in a backstage capacity and in non-on-air role, you know, not being seen on TV. And he can then help in coaching his son, helping with uh, signing new talent and going ahead and, you know, doing things for the WWE in a, uh, you know, ambassador type role and so on and so forth. But we will not see William Regal on a television set until 2024. Now, there may be ways around this. There may be legal action that can be taken. You never can tell. But I will commend Tony Khan again. I don't usually do that on this show. I know you guys know that. But in all honesty, maybe this was a smart business move. Yes, he's letting William Regal out of his contract, but he's also not allowing him to appear on WWE TV. It, it, it allows them not to rub his nose and shit. You know, it allows the, the, them not to say, we got one over on you again. You know, we brought back another talent. Uh, we're taking talent that you didn't want. Or we're, you know, we're getting guys who refuse to work for you, like a Braun Strowman or a Tegan Knox, And, uh, you know, going ahead and using them the right way. So maybe Tony did the right thing here. And in, in, in this way, I commend him. And finally, number four, legendary boxing referee Mills Lane passed away. Mills Lane was a huge part of my childhood yet again. I remember him refereeing some of the biggest world title fights and regular boxing matches of, uh, you know, the 80s and early 90s. And then in the mid-90s, he was a part of Celebrity Deathmatch, which was a hell of a show on MTV, that claymation show with Stone Cold Steve Austin as uh, one of the, um, you know, uh, GMs or whatever you want to call it. It was a really fun and, uh, you know, adult show for someone who was in his teens, so I enjoyed it. And then he became a judge for a little while because, you know, everybody got their own judge TV series in uh, the 90s. And, you know, then he went back to boxing and then he retired. My condolences go out to the uh, family of Mills Lane. Uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to them as well. And it is really a big blow to both boxing and the community of this world to lose a man like Mills Lane who was that loved by uh, everyone. You know what I mean? I never heard of a bad word to be said about him. Or to even hear someone say, you know, he did this, or he was doing that, or he was on the take, or... No, Mills was as genuine as they came. So I have to say, uh, definitely a very big blow to our world to lose someone that is that loved. So, with that being said, no better time than the present. Let's go ahead and get into my favorite segment on the show, and that is the highlight reel. And a reminder to go ahead... And check out all the great shows here on WrestleNet Radio, such as The Year That Was, A Slice in Time, Mark's Indie Spotlight, and the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Because I'm telling you now, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not listening to them, you are missing out. And we're going to go ahead and go over into Monday Night Raw for the highlight reel first. And number one is The Usos taking on Matt Riddle and uh, Kevin Owens. And this also involves Solo Sequoia taking out Matt Riddle completely. The tag match itself was unbelievable. You know, you had four guys firing on all cylinders. This was originally supposed to be Matt Riddle versus and Elias versus the Usos for the tag titles. He found Kevin Owens as a replacement when uh, Elias was taken out. And I have to say that all four of these guys did a fantastic job. Kevin Owens has slowly came into his own and become a major force in the WWE. The Usos, perhaps one of the best tag teams in the world today. And Matt Riddle has grown on me as well. And then after the match, with the Usos getting the win, Solo Sequoia destroyed Matt Riddle, took him out. That, you know, 
ass move in the in the corner, that you know that hip drop in the corner with the uh, the chair, excuse me, was absolutely brutal looking, and it was amazing. He paid homage to Umaga, who has passed you know passed away a while back, and it was his anniversary. It was fantastic, um, and it actually wrote Matt Riddle off of WWE TV for a while. And it seems to me WWE may be writing some of these guys off, like Elias and Matt Riddle and some of the women as well, because they want to have a bigger pop come Royal Rumble. So, you know, you write them off TV for a couple of months, you let other guys get some time in the spotlight. And then at the Royal Rumble, instead of bringing back someone from, you know, the 80s or the 90s, your actual talent get a huge pop because they weren't expected to be in the Rumble match. Number two, Bailey. Uh, versus Rhea Ripley versus Asuka. The women went all out in this triple threat match, and I have to say it was enjoyable. Bailey has slowly become uh, a killer heel uh, with her faction damage control. Rhea Ripley, the nightmare, is has been unbelievable. And Asuka, when she's not being too comedy-driven, is definitely a force to be reckoned with. Number three, JBL's poker game. This was, again, a throwback to the um, Attitude Era when the APA would have their poker games and you'd see a cavalcade of stars all around the ring. And, you know, uh, we had, um, uh, we had AJ Styles in the OC, Tazawa, uh, Dominic Mysterio. It was fantastic. We even had Dexter Loomis coming in and bringing the Miz's money with him and dropping it on the table throughout the night. Different matches were made throughout for through the poker game because guys were wanting to get it there, uh, their, you know, hands on one another. It was fantastic. So big ups to the JBL Poker Classic. Uh, number four, uh, the OC, AJ Styles, uh, taking on Baron Corbin, the Alpha Academy. Again, this is one of those matches that was uh, made during the poker game. AJ Styles uh, got into it with uh, Baron Corbin. It was, it was just a great six-man tag. The Alpha Academy has slowly become a really good go-to tag team, whether it be for a segment or a match. Baron Corbin with JBL, maybe because he's not talking as much and he's allowing JBL to be his uh, his tongue, you know. Maybe that's working out for his benefit as well. And the OC have come back in a big way. And finally, the uh, number five, the triple threat match between Becky Lynch, Nikki Cross, and Alexa Bliss. I was blown away to think that Alexa Bliss was even going to win this match to begin with. I thought for sure it would be Becky Lynch because of the feud that she's got going on with Bailey. But no, Damage Control came out, took out Becky, Nikki Cross, and her former tag team partner, Alexa Bliss, trade some blows, and it was it was fantastic. I have to say it was a great triple threat match. I enjoyed it completely, and it was a very good main event for Monday Night Raw uh, on this particular week. Over on SmackDown, number three, we had Sheamus and Pete Dunne taking on the Usos again for the World Tag Team titles. The Usos deserve uh, commending here. Why? Because they have now defended their tag team titles like three times in the last two and a half weeks and against big opponents. And not to mention they just came off war games. They had a stellar fight with the uh, the, the brawling brutes of Sheamus and Pete Dunne, and I enjoyed this match completely. It was a great opener. The LA Knight and Bray Wyatt segment and leading into more of their feud, finally seeing Uncle Howdy face-to-face -face with somebody and leaving the question of, are these... Other personas of Bray Wyatt or are these other people? You know what I mean? Are these eventually going to be other people who pop out and say, no, it's not Bray's persona. It's not his mind playing tricks on him. He's not a schizophrenic. No, we are other people. It's really begging the question there. And 
it's allowing Ellie Knight to show more range than just being a cocky heel. And finally, number three, Ricochet and the New Day taking on Imperium. Ricochet is set to take on Walter next week for the Intercontinental title over on SmackDown. And for him to team with a tag team like the New Day, who, again, are one of the best tag teams in the world, and take on three of the best six-man wrestlers I've ever seen in Imperium, you know, Walter, unbelievable, uh, Kaiser, and you know, and uh, everybody involved in that entire group is fantastic. So this was an all-out great six-man tag. It allowed us to get uh, Ricochet some momentum and really lead us into what next week should be a great 20 to 25 minute intercontinental battle, you know, and what that's what that belt continues to need. Walter has brought up, and I know what you guys are going to say. His name is Gunter. No, I refuse to call him anything else. His name is Walter. Walter has really taken the intercontinental title to a new level. His match with Shinsuke Nakamura, his matches with Sheamus, and now a battle with Ricochet is exactly what that title needed. So those are the quick hits. With that being said, Let's go ahead and take no more time and take a look at WWE NXT from this past Tuesday. And also a reminder to go ahead and check out the Nothing But Trouble podcast. That's right. That is my side project with seven childhood friends of mine as we talk about a little bit of everything, whether it be movies, food, TV. Uh, And this week's episode is actually going to deal uh, with TV. So I want you guys to go ahead and take a look. Leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. We are always down to hear what the listeners are thinking about our show. So WWE NXT, we are welcome to the show and go to the ring for our first of two wildcard triple threat matches. And as as Axiom makes his way to the ring, Duke Hudson riles up Andre Chase backstage. And it is going to be Axiom, Axiom, excuse me, taking on Von Wagner, taking on Andre Chase. The match starts with Chase hitting Wagner with a big boot, and then all three men going at it. Axiom attempted to use his speed, but Wagner's power was way too much for both of his opponents. Wagner held control and tortured both Chase and Axiom throughout the rest of the match. Wagner attempted his finisher, but Axiom reversed out of nowhere and got a huge upset win in 13 minutes. Wow, I actually did not see that one coming. Axiom has now qualified and will be in the men's Iron Survivor match over there on deadline. A vignette for Cora Jade plays, and she talks about her flawless record. Last time I checked, though, she hasn't won any big matches She's been since she's turned heel. Uh, backstage, the trainer checks on Julius Creed, and he's banged up after last week. We get a buddy fishing segment between Braun Breaker and Apollo Crews. It's a chance to show highlights of both men's career and discuss their match at deadline this Saturday. And now that's already happened, ladies and gentlemen. I want to chime in here real quick. Uh, Deadline has already happened. Next week's show is going to focus on NXT deadline and Ring of Honor final battle, which happened this past Saturday. I will give you my full details of what went on on both shows. So I know this is uh, podcast coming out a little late this week, but it's Christmas time, so you're going to have to bear with me. Um, Bryson Montana is ready for his match. Uh, but Sangha and Veer destroy him before he can even begin. Javier Bernal was supposed to be his opponent, but he takes uh, a chance to feign injury and walk away from uh, Indochir. 
Veer and Sang cut a promo on the Creeds and tell the brothers they decline their challenge and will wait until they are 100% because they want no excuses. The Creeds try to get to the ring, but security held them back. Thea Hale Chase tells uh, Andre Chase and Duke Hudson she has a match with Isla Dawn tonight, uh, which Duke thinks shouldn't happen, but Andre says yes. And the two bicker, still not understanding anything about this storyline, ladies and gentlemen. Tony D then takes on Zion Quinn. This was a glorified squash match, and I don't know who Zion pissed off to have this happen. Tony hit his finisher and got the win in two minutes. Post-match, Tony D cuts a promo with Stax and puts himself over. Wesley interrupts, and the two trade pleasantries on the mic. It's been a back-and-forth talking-heavy episode thus far because Stax tries to tell Wesley off, and then Donovan Jijak shows up on the big screen to tell Tony and Lee uh, that uh, what his intentions are going to be towards the both of them. Tony and Stax try to then attack Wesley, but he makes his exit. And I got a feeling we're in for a triple threat between Dijak, Wesley, and Tony D. I'll leave my, you know, predictions for that one for another time. Footage from last week's show airs, showing us Hank Walker challenging Charlie Dempsey and Dempsey accepting. We then shift to a vignette from Scripps and another cryptic message from the masked Reggie. That's right. If you didn't know, it's Reggie, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm sure you did if you've been watching NXT. Dempsey then took on uh, Henry Walker. And, um, yeah, Hank fought well, but Dempsey got him on the ground and just took over. Locked in a modified regal stretch and got the win in three minutes. Post-match, Drew Gulick returned to NXT and looked on at the ring and Dempsey. Uh, this could be a great tag team. I got to be honest with you here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, two. Uh, uh, you know, ring generals, two guys who actually know how to go and and do incredible submissions. I'd be all for it. A vignette for so Zoe Starks is aired, and she talks about her recent heel turn. I think she has a great chance of winning the Iron Survivor match the, this past Saturday at deadline, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. Mackenzie interviews Grayson Waller, and he talks about doing a Grayson Waller effect later on tonight to size up his opponents for the Iron Survivor match. Pretty Deadly reads the uh, night before Christmas while sitting on each other's laps. Then, as if this segment couldn't get any worse, the New Day show up with their tired, overdone gimmick. That's right, I said it. They're a great tag team, but the New Day need to drop the whole jokey-jokey, I'm funny, look-at-me-swivel-my-hips uh, gimmick. It's getting annoying. They challenge Pretty Deadly for the NXT tag team titles at deadline because they have nothing for them on the main roster. Uh, this was a not a good segment at all, in my opinion. It just... Two tag teams that try to use comedy and then have great in-ring work, but it always comes down to the comedy with both of them. Isla Dawn cuts a promo backstage and says her first match will be just a taste of her time here in NXT. Mackenzie interviews Harvey Burnell and wonders why he's looking scared of Sangha and Veer. He defends himself and, oh great, Jiro is back. Jacket Man and Big Body Harvey are going to have a feud. Oh, Jesus Christ. Thea Hale then takes on Isla Dawn. We saw some great fight out of Thea early on, but Isla took control and leveled the youngster. Dawn hit her finisher and got the win in three minutes in another quick matchup. Post-match, Albafire attacked Isla after the match, and the two brawled until the referees separated them, and one of them caught some of Isla's black mist in her face. Kiana James got her vignette for deadline, and it's her doing her normal boasting in her office. Briggs and then Jensen then took on Blade and Enoff, Quick back-and-forth match with Blade using a great amount of fast offense. Enoff got tagged in and tried to retain control, but Briggs and Jensen took over and turned the match around. 
Briggs and Jensen hit their finisher and got the win in four minutes. Roxanne Perez is next for the Iron Survivor videos and explains how bad she wants to win. She's been great since joining NXT and deserves the push. I'm going to say my two favorites are Zoe Stark and Roxanne Perez, but Cora Jade could be a dark horse as well. Briggs and Jensen talk about Jensen getting invited to deadline by Keanu James. Fallon isn't happy about it because she's going to win the wildcard match and the Iron Survivor match. Why does a wrestler need an invite to a pay-per-view exactly? I've never understood that. If you're a contracted WWE NXT superstar, or back in the day in WCW, or now in AEW, if you're there and you're under contract, you can come out and do whatever you want during any match. Why would you need a ticket or an invite? It, it's never made sense to me, ladies and gentlemen. Time for now the second triple threat match for the wild card into the Iron Survivor match. And it's Wendy Chu taking on Fallon Henry. And um, in the Hartwell, very good mixed bag of triple th of a triple threat here. Uh, Henley fought hard and took it to Hartwell. Uh, but Chu was just all over the place. Wendley is slowly getting herself taken seriously, and this match proves it. Hartwell continued to try and fight back, but Henley and Chu kept pushing her out. Chu hit a crazy splash from the top rope, but Indy snuck in, tossed out Chu, hit her finisher on Fallon, and got the win in 10 minutes. Finally, another good match. Toxic Attraction are shown, talking about the uh, five competitors in the Iron Survivor match. Mandy doesn't care who wins. Indy Hartwell walks in and says Saturday is about her. She doesn't care what anyone else thinks. The Grayson Waller effect is our main event and features the five men involved in the Iron Survivor match. Grayson introduces and insults his opponents for Saturday, and no one looks happy, including myself. Carmelo Hayes, uh, J.D. McDowell, Grace, uh, Joe Gacy, and Axiom each take turns explaining why they win at deadline. And then the segment breaks down into a glorified brawl with all five men just taking each other out in the show fading to black. This was not the best. Definitely not a good go-home show for NXT. 35 minutes of in-ringing action and a shit ton of talking. I get building to your next big show, but this was overkill. And the segments that didn't need to happen, in my opinion. I'm giving NXT a 2.5 out of 5. I didn't enjoy the show at all, and it's the first episode of NXT I have not enjoyed in quite some time. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and get into uh, the AEW... Dynamite show review and see what they've got to offer. And AEW this week, their episode begins with a look back at the card and an update on William Regal after the attack by MJF last week. Regal is still rehabbing. Yeah, right. And we go to the ring for the Dynamite Diamond Ring Battle Royal. Uh, and it's uh, Dynamite Diamond Ring Battle Royal action uh, going all over the ring. Some good mid-card names and a few guys who are regulated to dark and elevation. Ethan Page, Ricky Starks, Jungle Boy, and Matt Hardy are the ones focused on throughout the match. Comes down to Starks and Page. And at the 15-minute mark, Ricky Starks eliminates Ethan Page and gets the win. Decent opener and half of the ring time of NXT already. Unbelievable. Post-match, MJF hits the ring and cuts a promo about Brian Danielson and then shifts to Ricky Starks. They trade insults and have the crowd hot. Ricky winning the battle royal and the promo battle as well tonight. Um, but it remains to be seen if he can beat MJF for the title or the Dynamite Diamond Ring next week. 
Max goes low, but Starks ducks the ring shot from the Dynamite Diamond Ring and hits a big spear to end the segment. Now, I like the way that they are building Ricky Starks here, I must say. But I will say it is a little identical to the way that they built Max up against uh, John Moxley in that they were both pleading their cases of how hard they fought and how much they struggled, you know, clawed to get from living in their car and everything else they've gone through to get to the world title shot. I'm not, you know, really crapping on it. I'm just saying maybe it's uh, we needed a different type of, uh, you know, battle here, a different type of huge storyline, you know. A vignette for Darby Allen and Samoa Joe later on tonight is aired. Allen says since he lost the TNT title, he's been slept on. Joe simply says he's going to kill Darby later. Oh, joy. Moxley is cutting another promo, and it's about uh, too much talking and wrestling. I hear you, buddy. He gives a warning to Adam Page and the Jericho Appreciation Society, stupidest name ever, for later tonight. Then we go to the ring for Darby Allen versus Samoa Joe. We witnessed a war between Joe and Allen throughout the entire match. Allen tried to take Joe on the outside of the ring, but Joe caught him and dumped him on the floor. Darby hit a coffin drop to the outside, but when he tried to do it again in the ring, Joe caught him in a rear naked choke. Allen wouldn't give up, but he did pass out, and Joe got the win in 10 minutes. Great match. Allen got up in the post-match uh, celebration with Samoa Joe and got in Joe's face, so Joe took him out with a headbutt and then a muscle buster on his own skateboard. Wardlow hit the ring and chased Joe off, so I'm guessing these two are still feuding. Tony Schiavone then interviews Kip Sabian and Orange Cassidy. Orange makes a challenge for his All-Atlantic uh, title to Kip, and Kip finally agrees to a match on this Friday's Rampage. I guess Rampage and its low ratings is the home for the All-Atlantic Championship. Chris Jericho cuts promo on Claudio before their match this Saturday at Ring of Honor's Death Before the, excuse me, Final Battle, my bad, Ring of Honor Final Battle. I know, I flub lines, ladies and gentlemen, it happens. Uh, Claudio and Wheeler Uden then take on Daniel Garcia and Jake Hager, a well-rounded back-and-forth tag team match here with all four men trading some big shots. Uden and Garcia had a great um, air and ground battle throughout the entire match, and Claudio proved why he's challenging Jericho for the Ring of Honor title. The double submission by Hager and Garcia was tremendous, but Claudio countered and got the pin on Hager in 13 minutes. Post-match, Tony shows Moxley, Yuta, and Claudio a video interview he did with William Regal a couple of weeks ago. Regal says he doesn't think the Blackpool Combat Club needed him anymore, so he turned on Mox so they would let him leave. This was the final lesson he could teach them, and wow, this was actually a great way to write Regal off TV. Mox then cuts the same promo he did earlier and ruins all the awesomenesses from Regal's video. I, mean, I just don't get it. Get the guy away from the mic. He's been on the mic way too much lately. Malachi Black cuts a promo about the AEW roster and how the House of Black will judge them all accordingly. Julia Hart, Brody Ling, and, and Buddy Matthews join him, and they all lay out a challenge for next week. Tony then interviews Jamie Hayter, and the new AEW Women's Champion says the division has gotten interesting. She puts uh, over Sheeta and the Bunny, and then puts the entire division on notice that she is coming for anyone who wants a shot at her title. Jade and the Baddies then took on uh, Madison Rain, Sky Blue, and Kira Hogan in a six-man tag, or six-woman tag, rather. Not the best, but an okay six-man tag. Gray and Velvet took a majority of the match and fought off Rain, Blue, and Hogan. Jade finally got in, 
took out Hogan and then hit Madison Reigns with her finisher to get the win in nine minutes. Tony is interviewing Soraya and gets interrupted by Britt Baker. She gives Soraya a ticket to Dynamite and invites her to sit front row, but then Baker takes Tony and leaves. Excalibur runs down the card for final battle and Dynamite next week, and I have to say both look unbelievably stacked. I've already watched final battle, so I'll give you my thoughts about it next week. And then we go to a main event of FTR taking on the acclaimed for the AEW World Tag Team titles. An absolute masterpiece between both teams, and I truly enjoyed it. The two best teams in AEW showcased everything they had, and then some. Caster and Bowens hung with Wheeler and Hardwood throughout the entire match, and all four men showed up big time. The ending sequence with both teams attempting their finishers was great, and Caster getting a roll-up pin out of nowhere was awesome. The Acclaim retain and win in 18 minutes post-match after the acclaimed and the FTR celebrate and shake each other's hands. Post-match, the gun club show up on the big screen and inform FTR that the Briscoes have challenged them for the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles at final battle in a double dog collar match. Yes, please. I have to say, I'm happy it wasn't the gun club. <laughs> I thought it was their, their match to you know be had because they've been feuding with uh, the uh, uh, FTR since the last couple of months trying to get at the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. But give me the Briscoes. Give us some dog collars. Let's go. And I'm one hour and five minutes of in-ring action on Dynamite. Basically doubled what NXT had. Both shows are going to a pay-per-view. Great show for AEW this week. I'm giving it a four out of five out of a four point five out of five. Moxley was overdone, and I'm getting tired of the Soraya and Britt feud. It's the same thing over and over again. I, I did this. I did that. Uh, uh, it's my house. No, it's my house. Okay, we get it, girls. Just have a damn match. So, AEW, world's apart better. So much better than NXT this week. I can't believe it. And I hope that because of the Spectrum outage, it didn't cost them in the ratings. And with that being said, Time for our final segment of the evening. It is Nate Maxson's favorite segment here, and it is. And what really grinds my gears this week is the Sasha Banks situation. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are not aware of what has been going on with this young woman, she walked out of the WWE a few months ago while she was the WWE women's tag team champions, along with Naomi, her tag team partner. They both walked out, apparently, because they were going to both win matches. And one would go up against Ronda Rousey, and the other one would go up against um, Bianca Belair for the Raw and SmackDown women's world heavyweight titles. She walked out with her partner, and they've both been floundering. You know, there have been talks, well, Triple H brought this one back, Triple H brought that one back. Now that Vince is gone, they should both want to come back. And we keep hearing grumblings. They're both in contract negotiations. They're trying to work things out. Hopefully they will, whatever. And then this week, a story broke that Sasha Banks is not returning because the WWE cannot come to terms with her on money. And she will now, once her contract is null and void, done, Overset and done with with the WWE on January 1st. She will appear at Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Here's the problem. because, And I'm going to say this in two ways. One, the problem is Shasha Banks. And two, the problem is her fans. Her fan base. 
Um, here's why. Sasha Banks is a great wrestler. She was fantastic in the indie scene. She did a lot of great things in her career. And she was great in NXT. She was one of the, in my opinion, pillars of NXT. And that wasn't just a part of the women's division, but a part of the whole damn company. And then she decided, well, I'm going to go to the main roster. She did. Yes, bad booking. I agree. Crap title runs. Only winning the title for a week. Losing it right back to the woman you lost it to or, or out of pay-per-view. It was ridiculous. And after a while, she took her ball and went home. She walked out. Stayed away for a couple of months. And then she came back. New blue hair. That was fine. She did a great job. She won the women's title, the women's tag team titles. She was on top of the world again. She was in The Mandalorian. She's now getting acting ability going into her career, and she could possibly become a part of Hollywood, and that's fine. I'm all great with that. But she walked away again now. For the second time, she took her ball and went home, and she decided to take Naomi with her, and for the most part... Naomi, a two-time women's champion, one-time women's tag team champion. Maybe she was floundering in the WWE, but I think that if she would have stayed, they might have done something with her. Maybe put her with the bloodline. But Sasha Banks, when she doesn't get her way and is asked to lose to somebody she doesn't want to and feels she is not being pushed the way that she's deserved, becomes a whining bitch selfish and walks out and here's the thing great wrestler but there's 20 other great wrestlers on the damn roster in the women's division alexa bliss charlotte flair becky lynch uh bailey just to name a few and there's always more coming in because we've got some of the best female talent down in nxt such as alba fire mandy rose uh uh, uh you know, there's, there's, I'm trying to think of uh, JC Jane uh, is on the move. You know what I mean? The entire toxic attraction team is fantastic. You know what I mean? There is always going to be a woman that will take Sasha Banks' spot. She does this constantly and expects her fans to just go, okay, no big deal. Fans like myself, no, I'm not going to go, no big deal. If you want to go to Hollywood, go go ahead. No one's stopping you. But if you're doing this all out of you want more money when you're walking out whenever you feel like they're not treating you right, it's bullshit. You don't deserve more money then. You deserve to be paid the same pay scale as someone like Charlotte Flair or Becky Lynch. Maybe even a little bit less because they're not walking out. Becky Lynch only left because she was having a baby. Charlotte only left because she was injured. She didn't leave because she wasn't happy with her current booking. You understand? But then here's the worst part of it all. Her fans, Sasha Banks fans, defend her when you say, oh, she's a quitter. She walked out again. Oh, she's this, she's that. If you mention that she walked out, they mean, well, she wasn't being treated right. And she's the best damn woman in the ring. Well, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Stone Cold Steve Austin way back when, walked out because he didn't want to take Brock Lesnar's F5 on an episode of Monday Night Raw. And because he didn't want to lose to Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Because he didn't want to enter a feud, continue a feud that he entered with Ric Flair. 
He walked out and stayed home for almost a year. Didn't even talk to Jim Ross. He literally stayed away from professional wrestling. And we criticized the shit out of him. We said how bad it was, how selfish it was. He shouldn't have done that. We were as critical as possible. CM Punk is being shit on and was shit on when he walked out of the WWE all those years ago. And again now with what's going on with the AEW BS between him and the Elite and Tony Khan. And we really don't even know all of the damn facts about the media scrum and why it went down and what was happening and everything. All we know is their two sides. We don't know what actually happened, ladies and gentlemen. And he's being shit on. And The Rock has been constantly shit on at different times in his career because he left the WWE and went primarily to Hollywood. And fans are calling for his head on a spig if he doesn't appear at this WrestleMania to fight Roman Reigns. So if the Texas Rattlesnake, the cult of personality, and the damn great one can be criticized and shit on because of what they did in their careers and walking out and doing what they did, then so could Sasha Banks. Her fans need a reality check that she doesn't give a shit about you guys. You know how I know she doesn't give a shit about you guys? She doesn't do Instagram or Facebook Lives answering your guys' questions. She doesn't do Q&As where she answers your questions in her story on any type of social media. She doesn't make any kind of videos letting you guys know that she's okay and she's going to be back soon and she's going to be there for you guys. Don't worry about it. You understand? Her damn... Uh, meet and greet that she did at an expo a couple of months ago. She was standing some 10 feet apart away from wrestling fans, whether they be men, women, or children, and charging $150 in order to do that, that, that damn picture with them. She was literally standing two arm lengths away from her fans and giving a, a bogus smile and her peace sign. I Look, I get it. Some guys get too unruly when they're taking a picture with some of these women and want to hug up against them. But you could tell them, please don't touch me. But she wasn't even standing next to them. Okay? You could tell me, well, COVID. And then, no, it's not. it was not about COVID because none of these fans were wearing masks. Neither was Sasha Banks. That's bullshit. She is a stuck-up, very, very selfish woman who wants it her way or no way. And no one is going to tell me anything different. And I was a Sasha Banks supporter since day one. But she has turned on her fans. And if she does go to Hollywood, good for her. She didn't have a speaking role in The Mandalorian, by the way, guys. So just remember that. And if she decides to go to New Japan or AEW, she's going to be doing the same thing Paige is doing, a.k.a. Soraya, and doing the whole, this is my house, I'm the boss, I'm the blueprint, I'm this, I'm that. And it's just going to keep becoming repetitive the same way Soraya is. So think about that before you defend her. You understand? Think about that before everybody starts saying, well, she deserves better. What does she deserve better for if she's not going to be there to actually take the good with the bad? So that's it. I'm done. Tirade over. I want to thank you guys for joining me. Have a great night. Next week on the show, as I said, I will just be reviewing NXT Deadline as well as Ring of Honor Final Battle. There will be no NXT, AEW. There probably will be no highlight reel or quick hits. There may be a few quick hits. I have to wait and see what kind of news comes out in this next week. But it will just be a review of NXT's Deadline and, a, and Ring of Honor's Final Battle. But also a quick uh, programming note. 
that will be the final episode for the 2022 uh, year. Once that episode is done and recorded and aired, I will be back after the new year, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to take Christmas and New Year's off, and then we'll come back and we will be on the road to WrestleMania, the Royal Rumble coming up, and everything else going on. So, as always, thank you for your support. Thank you guys for being here with me, being there for me, and I will see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking.